Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. I'm your host, Milton McMainerberry, and I want to thank you for listening and thank Lonnie and the Tornadoes for contributing the theme music for today's episode. Today's satellite radio has taken us around the block a time or two into the famous beaches of East Tennessee as we dip our toes into Kenny Chesney's 1998 hit, How Forever Feels, the latest song we've encountered so far. I think of Kenny Chesney as part of a second wave of 90s male country acts that really took over in the Audis. Guys like Brad Paisley, Toby Keith, and Chesney's partner in crime, Tim McGraw. Because they were maybe a little late to the neo-traditional party of the late 80s and early 90s, I have to admit that, at least for me, these acts can feel like Johnny-come-latelys at this point in the late 90s, where we are in a transitional phase between that initial neo-traditional wave and what came later after the turn of the millennium, for better or for worse. But if you've listened to this podcast much, you'll have picked up on the fact that I personally am not much of a country music historian or traditionalist. I examine 80s and 90s country music from the inside out, song by song, without considering historical context as much as I might, or as much as someone else might do. I mean, country music especially, arguably, has a value for tradition baked into it. So I'm going to admit, consideration of how these songs fit into country music's rich history is probably at least somewhat necessary, even if, truth be told, as I said, I'm really not that much of a traditionalist, personally. I generally don't care if someone commits murder on Music Row if, musically, I like the sound of what they're giving birth to in its place. Now, why do I say all this? Because I'm going to get more into context here than I normally do, because Kenny Chesney is such an important figure later. But what we're dealing with here is a nascent version of Kenny Chesney. And that contrast and that evolution is interesting, at least to me. And it's my podcast, so... But moreover, I tried and failed to let this song stand or fall in my ear on its own merits. Kenny Chesney in 1999 is just too transitional in the history of country music for that fact to be ignored, especially in 1998-99. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's give credit where credit is due. Kenny Chesney released How Forever Feels in 1998 as the lead single from his 1999 fifth studio album, Everywhere I Go, a Chesney album that I really like. Other highlights of that album are a song that I find funny and enjoyable, She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy, and a terrific breakup song that was a lesser hit for him, but one I recommend as a gem of his catalog, What I Need to Do, is the name of that song. How Forever Feels was written by Wendell Mobley. I don't know if that's Mobley or Mobley, so I'm going to take a guess. And the much less ambiguously pronounced Tony Mullins. Chesty did write some of his own songs, but this is not one of them. This was strictly by outside writers. The song was a massive hit. Spending, can you believe this, six weeks at the top of the country charts in 1999. I think it's fair to say that this song is where Chesney went from being a popular country singer to a major force in country music. Finally, Chesney's producers on the song were Buddy Cannon and Noro Wilson. So with all that introduction, let's dig into however feels from the inside and see 
what it may tell us about 80s and 90s country music as a whole. The first thing about this song that I want to highlight is what I'm going to call attitudes, something like masculine sass. And I think we hear this in two ways, from the song's groove and from the song's very recognizable hook. First, the song grooves. It does not feel like someone standing still with an acoustic guitar and a microphone on a stand and just communicating the song to the audience. Not that there's anything wrong with that approach. I just described George Strait. But it is a different way of doing it that's at least noteworthy, and in my opinion, no less or more legitimate. I kind of resist categories like that anyway, as I kind of alluded to in the introduction. It's just not how I think about music. Anyway, it's a big part of what makes this song feel fun. So the groove, as grooves are, is established by the bass guitar and drums. And those two instruments as a unit are worth listening to in isolation on this song. Because whoever these studio musicians are on this one, they are both bringing something extra to this song. This one is by no means phoned in. They brought their A-game, and it sounds like they're enjoying what they're doing. The song also employs quick chord changes. Almost every two beats throughout the song changes chords. This helps keep the song feel lively and in motion. It varies, but the primary pattern is two beats on one, two beats on five, two beats on four, two beats on five. The song is in the key of G, so that's G, D, C, D. How Forever Feels is pretty light on its feet while yet driving in its rhythm. So the song just has a strong energy and something like a devil-may-care attitude that isn't confrontational, but rather hits a sweet spot of infectiousness that suits the lyrics really well. Seminole Wind's relentless four-chord pattern did something similar to How Forever Feels as far as giving the song motion, though that pattern changed chords every four beats instead of every two. Actually, I'm going to be somebody had exactly the same four-chord pattern in the verses as How Forever Feels. Same key and everything. G, D, C, D. And it changed every two beats, just like this one does. But the groove was completely different. I'm going to be somebody is significantly slower and felt more plodding, whereas this one feels like running. So How Forever Feels is some combination of the two, and that works thematically as well. As Seminole Wind is characterized by a seeking for something lost or intangible, I'm going to be somebody is characterized by a relentless, determined drive toward a goal. And How Forever Feels is the story of a once aimless man who's realized the goal he never really sought is right in front of him and where he wants to end up. And the attitude here is still really, I did it my way. And I did it my way because my way is fun. And that's how this groovy music fits into the song's whimsical narrative that we'll get to shortly. Another source of sassy attitude musically, too, comes from the groove's consistent use of syncopation, a concept we talked about a lot in both of our previous Garth Brooks episodes. That's not a coincidence, by the way. The syncopation is subtle, a little non-committal even, which is highly appropriate for the song's subject matter, as we'll get to in a moment. It stops short of the heavy herky-jerky syncopation of Rodeo and ain't going down till the sun comes up, but rather lightly syncopates a few beats in its typical two-measure rhythmical pattern. That pattern is basically this. One, two, three, four, and, and, and three, four. One, two, three, four, and, and, and three, four. It's the My Maria groove. If you remember that one, a song How Forever Feels shares a good bit of musical DNA with, I would say. Mm-hmm. 
toes in the sand couldn't get much hotter. The chord progression is pretty similar also. So to put it all together, how Forever Feels' repeating four chord pattern that inhabits most of the song played in rhythm is something like this. You can feel how groovy that is, right? Chesney's big hit before this, She's Got It All, a song I really like, has a similar groove. She got it all. Oh, now I know how Jimmy Buffett feels. Kenny Chesney's music generally, especially his upbeat songs like this one in this early period, had an infectious groove that stands in that Garth Brooks line. I mentioned that just a moment ago. A style that says it's okay for country to have rhythms that aren't entirely just straightforward. One, two, three, four. Chesney's 90s music had that progressive feel. It had a youthful exuberance that you'd expect from this kind of second wave that came in that I mentioned earlier. It had a freshness that arguably ran counter to what had started to grow stale about the neo-traditionalist movement by the mid to late 90s. And that's where Chesney's role as one of that second wave of male 90s musicians that I talked about comes in. I don't think it's overstating it to say that Kenny Chesney picked up where Garth Brooks left off in terms of overall vibe of his music. That's not a statement comparing the quality of the work necessarily, but rather the spirit of it. And there is a lot of Garth Brooks in 90s Kenny Chesney. The other thing that I think gives How Forever Feels its certain musical attitude is this descending chromatic scale that shows up a lot in the song and can fairly be called the song's signature hook. It's kind of the little flair that puts the song over the top and makes it not just fun, but memorable. It sounds like this. That's just a chromatic scale. Chromatic means half steps down from the note G to E. It's how the song gets into its relative minor chord, the E minor, that breaks up that major 1545 pattern that we talked about earlier. I find this little hook interesting because a pivot to E minor halfway through a verse and halfway through a chorus on a country song is a very common move. To add just a little bit of tension, just give the song a little tonal variety. So to make such a big deal of that chord change with this accented chromatic pattern is not something that would have ever crossed my mind to have done if I were arranging the song or just playing on it. But this band did... Somebody came up with this idea, whether it was kind of an organic thing that happened as someone just played it and it caught on, or whether it was a more deliberately arranged thing, I, I'm sure I'll never know. But I really like that the band or producer, whoever it was, was loose enough to recognize that this little idiosyncratic element works in the song and that they should really lean into it, as they do. Several instruments do it. It's always accented. It's just played big. Well, I've been around a block a time or two Got almost everything a boy can do I've done some living And that adds to the song's kind of playfully sassy attitude musically because chromatic notes have a natural dissonance that cuts through its sonic surroundings and demands to be heard. 
We talked about how the chromatic note did something like that in a sinister sort of way within the piano and bass pattern that formed the backdrop of the devil's entry in the fiddle contest in The Devil Went Down to Georgia. So in addition to everything that happens musically to give the song some sassy attitude in a fun sort of way, I want to talk about the second key feature, and it's the idea of whimsy. Some of the whimsical spirit of this song comes from the instrumentation. The song has a lightness and brightness reminiscent of what we talked about in our Diamond Rio episodes, especially coming from the prominent piano, as we saw again with Diamond Rio. But most of this whimsical vibe is coming from the lyrics, some of which are downright bizarre, frankly. So, read charitably, these lyrics are a sweet expression of commitment by a guy who has always lived for the moment until now. Read uncharitably, it's a reckless rushing into marriage by someone who has not counted the cost and is treating this lifelong commitment as just the latest weekend adventure. Listeners, let's resist the temptation to deliver any low blows here about Renee Zellweger, shall we? I'm looking at you, Brad Paisley. But I tell you, Chesney's personal life aside, it's still hard not to read this song through the eyes of what we know came after it musically. This is that historical context I mentioned earlier. Because what came after it is the abominable style of country commonly called bro country. Listeners, I'll let you look that term up if you're not familiar with it, but at the time of this recording in 2022, it's been the default and dominant style for a male country singer for what feels like 15 or 20 years. I tell you, I think I do know how forever feels because I really thought country radio would have moved away from this clueless, dirt road cruising, demeaningly woman-objectifying community college frat boy party by now but there is no end in sight, as far as I can tell. But this isn't a podcast about how country music went south in an unfortunate sense in the oddies, teens, and beyond. This is about 80s and 90s country music, which thankfully predates all that, and still maintained a boyish innocence and a sense of light-hearted fun that didn't take itself so seriously. Let's give Chesney and this song, and 1998 and 1999, the benefit of the doubt and take the charitable reading. And even as I say that, I'm having a hard time doing it. I think Kenny Chesney had a really great early period. Into the Audis, up through that album, No Shirt, No Shoes, No Problems, which had a couple of songs on it that I think are great. The Good Stuff, and one called A Lot of Things Different. Young is a good one off that album, too. But it's full of that glory days, suburban frat boy vibe that we know from hindsight changed country music probably irreparably. And... Greetings from the past, if you're listening at a point in time where what I'm saying sounds like ancient and maybe even forgotten history. But as far as the song itself, the first verse feels innocent enough. It's at this cringy line about coconut oil tan senoritas. The Jimmy Buffett reference there is no doubt intentional. But Margaritaville is a great song about beach malaise in which the speaker is not at all turned on by the identity-less beachgoers covered in oil around him. I don't know, y'all. The more I listen to the lyrics of this song, the harder of a time I have with it. And I freely confess, I probably wouldn't think anything of these things if Kenny Chessing's later full pivot to the beach man of country music, and more importantly for me, all that followed badly in his wake, hadn't happened. But it did happen, and I can't unknow all that. Well, back to the song. There's also the second verse that kind of makes you 
do a double take, like, wait a minute, is he singing about his throttle hanging open on the interstate with the same carefree attitude with which he sang about hanging out on the beach? This is another one where hindsight makes this verse especially cringy, as in real life, Richard Petty's grandson, Adam Petty, in the year 2000, died at New Hampshire Motor Speedway when, you guessed it, the throttle in his race car stuck open. Ouch. Well, finally, we have this third verse, and I do like where the song goes here. I think what helps is the reference to having saved for a couple of months for the ring and the implication that he's planned this proposal out, or at least thought about it in advance. I do like, too, that it sounds like it's not fully planned out, because that really wouldn't fit the seat-of-his-pants personality of the speaker in this song. A personality his fiancée-to-be is certainly aware of and apparently in love with. So he's going to pop the question tonight. Why? Because the timing feels perfect. So he planned to be spontaneous in a way, and maybe that's the sweet spot for this speaker's personality. The rural setting is there too, or at least to me it has a rural feel, as this proposal is going to take place where? On the speaker's mama's front steps. So it's outside. The song has a strong summer vibe to me, despite the December release due to that first verse. And the singer's explicit that it's at night, so I'm picturing a muggy summer night like we're used to around here in the South. I admit there's nothing in this verse that requires the setting to be rural, and my own rural background may be biasing my perception here, but nonetheless, I do feel it that way. But setting aside, the whimsical feel of the song culminates in this final verse in a way that I think does work. And that leaves you smiling and rooting for this guy and this couple. We don't know how it ends. The story ends unresolved. He never actually proposes in the song. We only know it's going to happen. In a similar way, the music ceases without resolving and ends on a five chord. Leaves you hanging a little bit. It never resolves to that one chord. You kind of want it to. I guess we have to wait for the wedding for that resolution. So as I said, you're left rooting for this guy and this couple but you don't know how it's actually going to turn out. Listeners, stop it with the Chesney Zellweger marriage jokes here. I hear you out there. They're not funny. So let's briefly recap. I mentioned two key elements of this song and really two vibes that kind of interplay. A sassy attitude that's established musically through a particular fun driving groove that employed a repeating chord pattern and regular syncopation within that pattern. Also, the hook, this kind of sassy, descending chromatic line that comes out of nowhere and highlights an otherwise fairly mundane part of the song to keep it interesting and keep it fun. The second vibe is a certain whimsical nature that the song has, which is established by the lyrics. And we understand that the speaker's personality is someone who's bit by the seat of his pants, has never really planned much out, and just lived life one weekend at a time. And he's applying that attitude to this major commitment of marriage, and we want to smile, and we want to hope for the best, but the song leaves us guessing on this a little bit, leaves it unresolved. And there is no fourth verse, so we'll just have to live with it that way. So, let's deflate our beach balls and pack them away for at least two weeks as we get ready for the next episode of Nashville Anthems. To that end, I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. If you could believe it, we've got Garth Brooks again for the third time. This one, his duet with Steve Warner. The song is Long Neck Bottle. I look forward to tipping that one back with you. Until then, you can write me at MiltonMcMainerberry at gmail.com. 
You can also follow Nashville Anthems on both Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I got to go. I got a boat payment due.